Welcome to episode six of Analytic Dice. On today's show, we will cover Lex Arcana, a tabletop role-playing game about uh, an alternative history Rome, a time when the Roman Empire never fell. And you are charged as one of the emperor's elite troops, the Cahors Arcana, to investigate all the threats to the empire. Uh, so again, stay tuned, and we have a great episode for you today. Well, welcome again to Analytic Dice, Episode 6, uh, Lex Arcana. So uh, tonight we're covering uh, a game that was uh, last updated in 2019, and this is the game Lex Arcana by, and I think originally it came out in 1994, uh, and this game is by Leonardo Colavini, Dario de Tofolo, Marco Maggi, and Francesco Nepitello. And of course, if I destroyed those names, I'm sure that my friend Nick will let me know. But anyhow, so really uh, enjoyed the opportunity to get a gaming group together to try Lex Arcana. Um, if folks, if you haven't checked out this game from character creation to actual gameplay, it is something different. So, uh, but before we get into it, let's play our calls and we'll hear from a few people uh, before we get into it. Uh, so the first call we're going to play is from our uh, friend, uh, Jason. Hey, Jason here. I don't know if I'm going to be able to wait a whole month until December, but great episode, really enjoyed it. Now I want to talk about opposed roles and kind of defend opposed roles. But that's something I could take over to my show, so I won't bore you with that defense of opposed roles. But great job. That's a really interesting game. I may pick up a copy. It sounds like a great entry RPG for kids, which is something we definitely need. So looking forward to the December show, and I will talk to you guys soon. Take care. So, of course, folks, what Jason uh, was talking about from uh, Jason from Nerds Variety Cast uh, was talking about um, our game of Lost in a Fantasy World, and that's what we had last month. And a comment about uh, opposing roles. So, uh, Gabe, any any reaction to uh, Jason's call? Just some synchronicity, perhaps, because we've been talking about opposed roles in our Against the Dark Master game well, a little bit. Right, right. And, you know, opposed roles can go, uh, you know, a bunch of different ways. Do you have a difficulty number that you have to meet and then... Uh, take into account the opposed roles or, or opposed roles, something standing alone by themselves. Um, I, I personally uh, like opposed roles in games. I hope that's what I said in the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> but you never know. I'm kind of flip-floppy. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, okay. Well, I guess we'll take up more as we talk about Lex Arcana. But um, we have, an, we have our next call is uh, from Daniel from Bandits Keep. He called in a number of times, but he settled on his third call. So his third call is the Magic Charm, and we'll just play that one. Here we go. Hey, guys. Daniel from Bandits Keep calling in. I realized my last two messages might have been confusing. 
long, and it might have come off a little negative, so which I did not mean for it to be the case. So I'm going to try to leave a shorter message that has everything I said in it. Start off by saying, like I said, the last one too, really enjoying the show. So the first thing I want to address is Gabe's comment about the rhetoric that there's only one way to play or there's only one best way to play. I, and that being BS, basically, I agree with that 100%. What I don't agree with is that it's only people in the OSR that act that way. The second part that was kind of implied, I thought, was that having a more rules-heavy game means you don't need to have as good of a GM because it, because what was stated was these rules-like games only work well if you have a great GM. Well, I'm sorry to say that rules-heavy games don't make up for a terrible GM that's unfair that's a jerk. So I don't think that's true at all. I think that's actually kind of a false equation there. Where I do agree with Gabe 100% is that I feel like there should have been some kind of sanity or – more Lovecraftian feel to the game based on how you described it. I think I would have cut out the D&D spells. I don't know why people feel like they have to connect to these, you know, keep old stuff in there, if you will. I would have maybe not had spells at all, maybe a few artifact items. And I definitely think some kind of sanity mechanic. I wouldn't have it be you lose hit points or something because you're already so low on hit points. That doesn't make sense to me. So uh, what I was trying to say in the other one, and I'll say briefly, is I feel like instead of just being two pages, as this game was, if it was like three pages or five pages or six pages, and then all the rest of it was, you know, those same rules, all the rest of it was basically an essay on how to make the game Lovecraftian, what what to do to make your game feel that way. I think that would be a lot more useful than extra mechanics. Because to me, that's what's important to a Lovecraft story is how it feels, not so much whether you, you know, how much damage a gun does. So anyways, that's my thoughts. I guess feel free to use this one instead, or if you prefer to, if you think the other ones weren't a mess, then use the first two messages. Either way, I've been listening to the show since the beginning, really enjoying it, and I'll talk to you soon. All right, Daniel, we really appreciate the call. And of course, Daniel called in regard to episode four, where we covered Old Ones, uh, Chagants, and Raleigh OSR, uh, and had a little conversation about that. So, uh, Gabe, any thoughts? I'll give the mic to you for first reflections on on Daniel's call. Well, thanks for calling in, Daniel. I entirely agree with all three points you have. Um, yeah, I could I could get more reflective about it. Uh, what's funny about it, I I would love to go back and listen to what I said, see what my context was. Is uh, Kevin did put me on the spot. I didn't expect to be defining OSR, and then I refused to, and then of course I. <laughs> I couldn't. I ended up talking about it a little bit, very shorthand, right? Because you could go on and on about it. But uh, I 100% agree with you, Daniel, that um, the one true way ism. Well, Kevin doesn't want me to go on and on and on tonight, but uh, no, no, I sure en- go on. I enjoy. On I en- I enjoy one true way ism. I am a. I just got done grading a bunch of English papers for uh, college reading and writing, and what I teach really is argument, right? So. That, that's fun to be in a uh, Discord community and a role-playing game community and be arguing with all your friends who all love the games that you love, but arguing that your favorite game is the best one or the one true way to game. And everyone knows what my perspectives are there. Uh, the, the, the second point that you called me out on rightly, right um, onto the mat about... Uh, you need a really good game master to run OSR. I, and you can have a bad game master that ruins rules, heavy games. You're, you're entirely correct. Um, I guess my implication is um, with OSR, 
since there are so many gaps, you're relying more on rulings. And so, yes, yeah, right. We've all had all sorts of game masters for all sorts of games. I'm thinking of a few right now, but uh, that I've experienced. But uh, if there's uh, more robust rules for the player to argue his or her case to a bad ruling, you know, this, uh, that helps, I think, a little bit. That mitigates it uh, versus there's just so many gaps that it's just a GM fiat or the referee just just calls in his or her favor. Because in so many cases, and I, right now you should call, you're going to call me out because I'm going to be characterizing uh, too generally the type of OSR perspective of Nilu. There are a number of cases, and I'm totally guilty of this, where the the OSR referee sometimes seems to have a story to tell. And this might be surprising because the OSR ethos is that, you know what, we play to see what happens, you know, and uh, anything can happen. But uh, I find that many old school GMs put so much of their heart and souls into world building that uh, in order to protect that property, which is their, their heart, I think sometimes they can get a bit, uh, um, make some poor choices, right? They could be yeah. serving their their own world rather than the yeah. uh, perspectives of the characters. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I I agree with all the comments, but I would say this: that I would say there is no best RPG out there, right? There's no one that's achieved some perfect state, and the reason for that is it's impossible. Each one of us has our own preferences and the ways we like to play. And we all might have the favorite game for us. Um, I would term it that way, the favorite game for us, not the best game ever. It's the favorite for us because we found a niche, a way of playing that is so comfortable and so at that whatever stage of our life or maybe forever is our forever game or temporary game that is our absolute favorite. But it's not the best game. And it certainly doesn't uh, supersede a choice that someone else made. And those kind of arguments are ridiculous that one game is uh, objectively better than another. Um, I, I just don't think that's that's really true. As far as GMs, GMs absolutely can ruin any game. Any game, rules light, rules heavy, they can ruin them, right? Arbitrary and capricious or in, in Gabe's way of saying that they have such a story in their head and that you're railroaded right down those tracks. So yeah, 100%. So, all right. Well, Daniel, uh, thanks. Uh, thanks for calling it. Um, and call and call back and, and uh, call me out on what I just said. <laughs> I mean, if, I, if I've, if I've uh, gone yeah. astray yet again, which I now, probably have. <laughs> now folks, we have one, we have one more call and this is from our friend, Nick. And it's a long one, everyone. Hold on. But to give you context, Nick's going to be talking about Lex Arcana. Nick played in our Lex Arcana group where we ran this. So let's hear from Nick. And that'll, I guess, uh, that'll be the um, uh, the kickoff uh, to our discussion of Lex Arcana. And uh, let's see if I can actually cue a video or uh, audio. Hello, Gabe and Kevin. Thank you very much for having me again in your podcast. Um, I will try to be brief and go over what I like and dislike about the game Exarcana. 
the first thing I really like about the game is the setting. Um, ancient Rome and all his aspects uh, is a big, it's something I really like, although this takes place in an alternate, alternative pa past. Uh, but um, I think that it's, uh, it's pretty much, um, I really like how they took uh, Roman uh, religion, Roman um, knowledge of the past, and put it into a game. Uh, the flavor really comes comes out during the session, during uh, even flipping the PDF, or even even only during in the in the character sheet. I think it really is laid out um, uh, with that flavor in mind. They really nailed it down. Um, the character creation is another strong point of this game, and uh, <clears throat> it might seem a little bit um, um, intimidating in the beginning. Uh, like every character sheet that you need, uh, that you know, you, it's provided a um, worksheet with it. So every time a worksheet is given with a character sheet, I always feel a little bit intimidated. But in this case, I have to say that. Um, the worksheet and the character sheet work so well together that um, creating a character is really a breeze. And at the end, the end of session, you um, at the end of session zero, I feel that each person at the table walks out with a good idea of their own character and also to have extra time to work on the world building. Um, a very important aspect of this game. <clears throat> Um, it's the, the, the core mechanic of the dice. So basically, I'm sure you, you uh, both of you will analyze this in, in this podcast, but I really like the fact that uh, value stat can be sort of explode uh, in, in when you have to roll them and, and pick all the dice you want to, to sum up to the number you have. So for example, if you have a set value of 12, you can either choose to roll 2d6, 2 plus, uh, 6 plus 6, it's 12 or 3d4, 4 times 3, it's 12 and so on. Um, I think that is a very interesting mechanic because um, I uh, start thinking about it after we played and uh, I can totally see um, it, it wasn't an epiphany for me, maybe it was just late to the game for that epiphany, but um, you for each value, which of course will increase uh, in the long run, uh, you you kind of will know what is the best set of dice for the best odds do you want to have on a specific roll. That variety, um, it's it's very much empowering, and I think that gives the players the choice. However, I can see how uh, <clears throat> if someone is not an expert in no expert, but he's not very well versed in math and stats. Uh, but still enjoy role-play games, a person at the table like that might slow down because they might have to think every single time how many dice they want to draw, what is the best, you know, what is the best set of dice they want to use, uh, <clears throat> and that can be a little bit frustrating, I feel. Um, but uh, <clears throat> I think overall it's a, it's a very interesting and, and good mechanic. Um, what I didn't like about the game, I don't, I uh, probably the magic system I think is a little weak. Um, uh, it's a, I feel it's a low magic system, 
and the, the, the spells uh, uh, in the game are which are called different uh, uh, there's like a have a different name they are a little bit more um, uh, more story driven like in order to, for you to uh, find more about information about whatever you're gonna go or history about it or uh, to, to, it's a little bit it's they're not you know spells like a traditional why you would find spells like in, on a, on a fantasy game which I'm, I'm not criticizing but i uh feel that might be a little bit of a weaker point in the game but uh, you know i didn't play enough to explore that aspect uh but overall i i really like the game and i'm looking forward to hear this uh podcast all right. Well, thank you, Nick, uh, for leaving that uh, message for us or sending me that file. That was a long one, but we really enjoyed the call. So, Nick, always a pleasure to play with you. And, folks, if you listen to that call, of course, you can tell right away Nick loves the setting. It's ancient Rome. Nick is from Italy. And I would just say that that, that tracks, Nick. Um the character creation, we'll talk about that a little bit more. I mean, I got to say that we had we had a whole session where we did character creation. And I was the GM. And I have to say, when you have a good GM guiding you through character creation, it's always nice and smooth. So uh, appreciate that. Um, the, exp the, the dice rules here, uh, it, it does have, uh, the way this game works is you have a number, uh, that you're going to roll against either a virtue or a skill. And uh, let's say it's a, a, a 10 or 11 or a 12, whatever it is, let's say it's a 12. Those are your dice points. So you can roll as many dice as you want that add up to 12. So if you had um, a 12 for a skill or for a virtue, uh, you could roll a 12-sided die or you could roll 2d6. And the difference really being is, of course, if you're into uh, looking at dice mechanics and how things roll, you're likely to get a, a stronger uh, a middle ground number if you roll 2d6 and rolling that d12 because you have an equal chance of getting any number on a d12. But because of the exploding dice mechanic here, if you roll a d12, you're more likely to get a 12 than you're likely to get two sixes. And so... Um, if you get two sixes, which is the maximum number, or a 12, which would be the maximum number on uh, if you have 12 skill points, it would explode and you get to roll again and add that number. So you're always kind of doing a calculation on, you know, what do you want to go for? And there might be certain roles where your only hope of succeeding is to get that exploding a die. So you may make a different calculation if, if that's what's going on. And... Of course, you know, in games, I often say I like sacrifice mechanics. Of course, the game that I'm behind is Burn 2D6 um, and with that core mechanic. And Nick is with open-ended games and with Against the Dark Master, where one of their core claims to fame, of course, is an exploding dice mechanic when you, when you roll high and you add to it. So uh, I get your affinity for the Lex Arcana system. Um, and, you know, when we talk about low magic, Again, I think that we all like to play some of the similar games, right? Against the Dark Master, uh, which Nick, you're uh, you know part of, is a low magic system, and I think Lex Arcana is probably maybe maybe we'd call it a lower magic system. Um, it's definitely a different kind 
of magic to kind of align with um, superstitions and this idea around heavy on augury and uh, that kind of prescient knowledge. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, it was the way, the way we did this for Lex Arcana, we had a couple of sessions and the first session we just focused on, uh, creating characters. And then in the second session, uh, we went through and basically did a one shot that brought the uh, players through several mechanics, uh, starting with, um, you know, even travel mechanics to, um uh, uh, uh mechanics around augury and the magic system to there's a mechanic around audiences and having an an audience and how you gain knowledge from it and into uh combat um so anyway with, with that um uh gabe any uh, any thoughts based on uh nick's call or or lex arcana itself um well why don't, how, how about, I, I love having a good GM. You're such a good GM, Kevin. And so maybe <laughs> you want to, I would be happy to speak about my thoughts about Lex Arcana, but maybe sure. you would introduce a specific, more specific subject uh, component of the game. Well, let's talk about char about character it. creation. I think uh, character creation as a very specific aspect um, is, is different than other games. I mean, if you... Uh, if folks, if you pull out the Lexicon book or you go and download some of the free stuff that's available, like the character sheets, you will see a worksheet uh, for Lexicon with Roman numerals all over the place on it. And when you first look at it, I must say it looks a little intimidating, but it is a fantastic worksheet uh, that brings you through the mechanics of the game and gets you at the numbers you need for your character sheet in a very painless way. And the way it works is that you either roll up or take a standard array uh, for scores that will end up being your, um, your virtues. You have in this game virtues and skills. And so for your virtues, um, you're going to then assign your virtues uh, between uh, six different virtues in the game. Um, and the virtues uh, in here are um, uh, coordination, vigor, um, uh, authority, ingenuity, uh, 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 reason, and uh, sensibility. And, and you didn't say, you didn't say them in Latin. I I didn't say them. They're in rendered Latin. in Latin. They're rendered in Latin. <laughs> I did not do that. Or maybe they're Italian. I don't know. Right, right. And they're pseudo pseudo Latin Italian. So. Uh, you do that first. And then once you have those set up and you decide where you want to place those, it then really gets into the game. You have to figure out what province is your character from. Depending on what province, there is a modification that will not modify your virtues, but that will modify your skills. All right. And then once you have that number plugged in, which is modifier number, you then go on to of uh, figuring out the value of each one of the uh, of the six skills. And these are nature, magic, science, society, war, uh, and, um, and, and physical. Um, and so in doing that, what you end up doing is dividing up each one of your virtues. You have to decide how many points from a virtue 
are you going to put into a, a skill? And I'll give you an example. So on the worksheet, they're arranged essentially in a circle. So your sensibility and coordination are paired next to each other. And between them is the skill nature. So you're going to take from the sensibilitas and coordinatio. Yeah, I'm going to get killed on my pronunciation. Ordinatio. <laughs> yeah. And so you take from those two and, and split how much from each one is going to make up your skill in nature. Uh, and that means on the other side, sensibilitas and ingenuity are between them is magic. So whatever you take from sensibility to increase your nature score is going to mean you have less to add into your magic skill. And, it, and it's pretty clever uh, the way this is. So we went through it step by step to then create, um, taking into consideration all of this, uh, these uh, skills and virtues. And then once we were done with the that part of the worksheet, we then determined the age of our characters. That's the final step. And depending on the age of your character, again, there's a slight modification to each one of the virtues. But again, that happens after all those other calculations. So there's no penalty except in the final number or benefit until the final number based on your age. And then once that's done, you now transfer those numbers to your, to your character sheet and you are ready to go. And the next step after that is uh, picking specialties. And, and specialties are these things that are incorporated under each one of the skills. So for war, you might pick uh, missiles and swords. For physical, you might pick climbing and jumping. And uh, for magic, you might uh, pick precognition and superstitions. Uh, and then, so for each one of those, now that you have um, your skills, that essentially gives you uh, a, a bonus uh, of dice points to your to your roles. It could be plus two. It could be more in in your different skills. So anyhow, and that is once you've got that, um, essentially uh, character creation is done. Everyone in this what you're you're called custodes. You're part of the cohorts arcana in this each. One, you essentially pick a, a an office to be a part of, and there are uh, uh, you know different offices: augur, diplomat, explorer, fighter, and scholar. And you pick, and there's a secret, of course, a secret uh, office of assassin, but we won't talk about that. That's a few pages on. But you pick your office, and then once you do that, there are different automatic abilities that you get from that and in addition there are invocations and that's what nick was talking about there are these larger ritual spells and then there are these invocations from your god based on the office that you hold that can help you in different actions that you're doing um and uh, there you in addition in this game there is something called uh, uh pietas or piety and and that is essentially uh, magic points in this game, uh, what you will end up spending uh, to do uh, different different magic acts. Um, so that's character creation. And now um, it's, I think the book, 
uh, Gabe and I often complain about layouts of books and how, you know, it's hard to find things in an index or anything else. I have to compliment the organization of Lex Arcana. I thought that uh, player creation, character creation was incredibly clear uh, in the book and very linear. Um, you know, everything you needed was right there. Now, Gabe, on the other side of the book, you didn't have the full book uh, in front of you. What do you think of character creation? Uh, character creation is fantastic. I listened to you try to describe it to our audience, and I think that uh, audio is probably not serving it <laughs> very well. <laughs> you just have to trust us, everyone, that this worksheet is really cool. And you can just see the logic by just looking at this worksheet. And I was surprised, but after going through character creation, Kevin said, now you're done. You take your vigor, your coordinatio, ingenium, if I'm right, actoritas, ratio, and sensibilitas. And that, that's it. Everything else you just toss aside, make a note of your age and your province, and then you start working on the other aspects of your character. It, it's cool to me because there's some choices that you make there. And it's interesting when you, if you can look at it to see that, say, Octoritas and Ratio both contribute to, um, well, actually, no, it's De Societe that contributes. Anyways, you can see it's just so cool how there's these, um, I guess they would call them synergies that are contributing to the character, the person, the, the aspects of the person. And yeah, character creation was, Kevin made it um, painless for us. We were up and running in no time. And I thought it was quite elegant. Yeah, great. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you had a good experience with it because I, I definitely took the time ahead of time, of course, to go through character creation for myself and run through it. So it made sense to me. Of course, and um, and I and I, I enjoyed it myself. It's kind of like, uh, you know, I, I think that many of us who are into role playing games half the fun at times is creating a character, right? Going through and and checking out the numbers, checking out skills, and really in creating a character, really understanding the mechanics of the game. And I think that's where a lot of games this, and and that's why I prefer. And I know, folks, there are a lot of automatic tools out there that help you create characters. And I use them too, and they're fantastic, but there's nothing like sitting down with the rule book and just by hand uh, creating a character. It, it gives you such insight into the rules and how everything fits together, which in, in many ways, again, and I do enjoy the automatic character creators that are out there, but in, to some extent, I think they cheat the player of that opportunity to really get that bigger that deeper understanding of games like this that um you know that I, frankly the the rules are a little more complicated than some more simpler games but um anyway character creation for me is always i think a, a fun exercise fun to do uh really helps you get under the hood of a game so gabe i'll pony up something else and uh you know as we went through our adventure eventually we got to combat Right. And and in this game, this is called uh, uh, in combat sequences, you get to the DeBello role, right? The combat role. And man, did I really enjoy this. 
Um, you know, uh, going back to our Tunnels and Trolls episode, one of the things I liked about Tunnels and Trolls was the group combat, right? Uh, the total group of, of uh, heroes versus the other side and whoever had the most points win. Well, this isn't the same thing, but it's the same idea. Combat is opposed roles, right? So um, you, you, you roll and the combatant who scores uh, the highest result is the attacker. And the one with the low roll becomes the defender. Uh, in this opportunity. And then um, you go and you take the attacker's role minus the result of the defender's role. And that determines what they call the attack potential. And uh, and once you have that number, uh, you attack any, um, you know, uh, parry value or um, a value having to do with any kind of armor. And then when you're done with that, if, you're, if your attack potential is zero or less, the attack is blocked, right? The defenders blocked it. And if the attack potential at the end of all these calculations is one or more, then the, the attack succeeded. And then you go into calculating damage. And the higher your attack potential number at the end, uh, the more damage you do because there's a, a multiplier that's applied to the base damage of the weapon. So if you, if you hit, but it's just like, you know, a very low um, attack potential, uh, you have base damage or whatever that weapon does. But boy, if you get a couple of those uh, exploding roll die rolls in combat, um, you could end up, uh, you know, having damage as much as six times uh, the weapons base. Um, that is, I mean, that could be devastating. So I, I, I enjoyed that. And I, I think it allows combat to breeze through, right? We're not sitting there going, and then this person attacks, and then this person attacks, everyone pairs up almost in like a dueling kind of way. And, and, and that's your partner, uh, for the combat and you, and you fight them and, and, and to, and you see what happens. So, uh, for me, uh, as a GM, I thought combat was pretty seamless, uh, pretty easy to do, and quick. Uh, from round to round, rounds didn't take forever. Um, Gabe, what was you, what was your thought? And we can talk more about combat because there are a few other subtleties to it. But what do you think? In oh yeah, it was fast. It was fast and neat. Uh, both so point for point, character creation was awesome. And in this regard, gameplay was awesome. It's a fantastic game. You know, one of the things I liked about it, and, you know, we always think about it, and I don't want to get simulationist on you, but, you know, we talked to this issue, like you're surrounded by enemies, right? And they're attacking you and what happens, right? And there are flanking rules and all sorts of things. Well, this game does something very interesting. And if you're being attacked by a second opponent, right on your turn and the first attacker has already tried to hit you whatever role the first attacker had against you the second attacker gets to add that role value to their role that really makes double teaming an individual incredibly powerful just as it would be in real life if you were sitting there with your sword defending yourself against two people who are double teaming you um, very deadly. Um, and, and I, I like that aspect of it. And 
I, I don't know if it's meant to be simulationist, but I thought that it was a very good representation in combat, what it would be like if two armed opponents were ganging up on you. It's definitely interesting. I, I think that in our game, there were three against one at one point, and Kevin made it clear at that point that it doesn't compound. Like that third person isn't getting the roles of the previous two. And this is starting to become, and if it had, that would be a, a genuine concern for a couple of reasons. The first one being you now have a lot of like mental load. You have to record these numbers in case you need it if the other person's rolling, right? But um, it made me wonder though, even though it's just kind of going like, hey, we're, you know, you could borrow, now you can borrow, now you can borrow my role. Cause it kind of does compound in a way when you think about it. Um, but it was just the role. It wasn't the, the total. And, thing. and let me be careful. Uh, true. It's not the number that you add to it. It's bonus dice points. So okay. that, that number becomes dice points for your role, just to be clear in, in the way this game operates. Just incidentally, do you recall, Kevin, if there's like a, a, a max to how many people can gang up on one person? Because some, some of these games get to where you can only have like four, you know, because there's, you know, front, back, and the two sides of a character. You can put your back up against a wall and try to minimize that. I don't know how, because you, you brought up simulationism. I don't know how deep the uh, writers of the game go in this regards or if they just trust their players to make up something that makes sense. Yeah, you know what? They did talk about uh, a, a maximum on there. And, you know, I, I'm sorry, I'd have to it doesn't matter. really look dive it up back into it. But it's it good is, enough to know that there is, is a maximum. something like that, yeah. And the second question I have for you, Kevin, I want to circle back to, because I know Nick initially was kind of critical of the dice mechanic which you and I both loved immediately. Sorry, hold on. I have the definitive answer for you. <laughs> on page okay. 62 of the core rulebook, during close combat, a human-sized creature can be engaged by up to three human-sized foes sure. at the same time. A larger creature can be attacked by four or more. Makes sense. Yep. Okay. That, that's great. Yeah, so they've thought that through. And I would, yeah, I'd be putting my back up against something and minimizing that too. So the uh, the dice mechanic this question came up. I think this is when Nick was really pushing at it is how low can you go into, can you go to a D two? Can you break, can you break your dice points down into a bundle of D twos? Cause we kind of thought, cause Nick would argue then you can reduce it to kind of a 50 50 for the number you're going for. Right? Yeah. And you can ruling, pare it down that granularly. The ruling I made during the game was the lowest you can go is a D four. Okay. And and I have to go back in to see if they limit it in that way. But as a GM, that's what I would limit it to. I'd say you can break up your dice any way you want, but you know the lowest you're going to be able to roll is a is a D four. So and I didn't I didn't see much about I guess because I only had the quick start as Kevin has pointed out. I I didn't get the whole game. Maybe I should because I appreciate it so much. What's holding me back personally is the the milieu. I'm I'm not so excited about uh, playing in the Roman Empire. I actually think I am excited, which about I'm really it. surprised at. For my, you are my sword and sandals friend. Well, see, that's so what, that's where I was going to qualify it. I actually probably am 
really interested in playing in the Roman Empire. But this game and the latest now, or maybe, yeah, the latest now from Modifius, which we will have to play just because we kind of have yeah, to. Yeah, Cahors Cthulhu. Right. Cahors Cthulhu, yeah. yeah. That's it. It's the Cthulhu thing. Like, I, I don't, both these Roman games are like, yeah, play, play in the Roman era. And I know there's games that we can pick up. I think Jackals might be one of them. Oh, you know, right. Jackals. Yeah, things sure, sure. where we can unequivocally play in the Roman era and add as much magic and sword and sandal into it as we want. Uh, I don't think I'm so big on the, the, just the built-in setting. And is I don't think it's actually built in too much. I think my initial response Kevin, when we were done with this game, and you're like, what do you think? And I'm like, wow, it's really, really themed to its setting. Now that I'm looking at it, I think it is, but I think it can be really quickly reskinned. Even to, so, every kind of like a member of the custodes has a tutelary deity, even if you're not a magic person. There's a there's a specific Roman god that you revere, and they they give you these these boons, these benefits. Uh, these invocations you could skin that like if i didn't want to do this like you could just make those talents or something like that based on your character class which is really what it is right just like your classes do this x times per day or something but that's my site so i went on my tangent and i wanted to circle back to because what i haven't looked at is the magic and you talk it's very heavy on the augury Kevin, are these things like you're you're like pulling guts out of an animal and like reading the entrails? Yeah, that's right. And you got it. That's part of it. Yeah. Is there sure. any is there any magic that is uh, combative in nature? You know, it, it's really uh, it's it's the art of divination. That's what this is all about. And there are different disciplines within this art of divination. So. Um, you know, and they divide it up into precognition, clairvoyance, retrocognition, interpretation of omens, interpretation of information and in favor of the gods, right? And and that is that is the, the magic system. Now there there are those incantations which are different, right? And those incantations sure. give you they give you like bonuses, they stuff. give you a little bit more and there is uh, an option uh, to to add in these things called uh, indigimenta, uh, uh, which are additional, essentially, incantations um, that you can use uh, uh, and add those in. So uh, if we had played longer, um, we, we probably would have looked into that. And that would do things like allow you to talk to the dead and do all sorts of things. Um, uh, Still information gathering, though. So uh, what this tells me, I mean, unless you find something else that is not straight up divination, that's what everything. So what we often do, Kevin, is we we try to understand you can you can stun an opponent in this. There it is. Finally. Yeah. (laughs) There's something else. Um, (laughs) You can, uh, 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 let's see, uh, you can hit someone with a bolt of lightning falling from the sky. You know, why so did take, the, why did it take so long to find that? So, so that's all, things you can add in. They, yeah, you don't these, start with that sort of thing. Yeah, you don't necessarily start with that type of stuff, right? And and for simplicity's sake, we didn't get into it, but 
this uh, this part of it, um, uh, you know, you start the game with that one invocation link to your office. But if you if you as you advance in this game, you know, and we talked about accumulating those curriculum points, which are their experience. If you accumulate the curriculum points in Pax Diorum, if you look at Gabe, look at your sheet, add your curriculum points. I'm, I have it open. Then when you do that, <laughs> um, you can learn when you reach a certain threshold, you can you can learn additional in indigimentum, which are incantations. <laughs> And sure. so, so you can do that at certain levels, you know, you, you get a hundred points and now you're, you're learning an additional one. And as you go up in points, you learn more and then all of these do different things. So, uh, but this is where it's different in the, every single character in the game. If you invested in that Pax Diorum with your curriculum points. So if someone was an auger, as an example, or some kind of fighter who wanted to be a dabbler in magic, and you focused your experience in that way, you you could pick up these additional incantations that allow you to do additional things. But your characters have to become much more experienced before they get into some of these uh, these spells. I mean, for lack of a better term, when we played, you were beginners. You were beginners uh, on your first adventure as part of the Cohors Arcana. So uh, you're you're not going to be wielding lightning bolts your first time out of the gate right to be clear that's not a criticism of mine at all i was uh well i took it as such and i am defending the game really did um no <laughs> it uh the that's what the game is and i uh, i appreciate games that are really uh more folklore in their magic like this this the characters you, it's very enmeshed in the the roman empire that milu and the magic is going to be rat in a way rational magic. Like, you know, people were doing this in our own history, and that is what's in the game, and it works. What they were doing for real works. People were not really calling down lightning bolts, but people were really looking. You know, I don't know, tossing a wheat chaff into the air and watching how it blew and deciding, you know, what the God wanted. Right. At that sure. Point. Right. So, and so that was my observation was just in some ways, if you want to talk about simulationism, like this is even right down to the magic. This right. game has an interest in simulationism. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, uh, whether it's combat or other things that I do want to talk about, you know, actions, you know, you can take all sorts of actions like you would in any other game, running navigation, whatever. And, and they all are follow the same thing as essentially combat, right? You're looking at your degrees of success. You're rolling those dice points that you have in that certain thing, instead of being an opposed role though, um, what you're going to be rolling against is a difficulty threshold that's set by the GM. It could be three, six, nine, 12, whatever it is. You're going to roll all your dice and then you're going to subtract from the difficulty threshold. And that difference determines the degrees of success, right? So let's say I had a beat a six. I beat it by two. I got an eight. Eight minus six is, is a two. Uh, I look on the chart and I see that a two is a one degree of success, right? So I would barely be successful. 
And you can get all the way up to uh, three degrees of success, which is extraordinarily successful. So I like systems that have different degrees of success. And a lot of the systems we play have that. So this does too. Um, so I, I, I enjoy that in the work, uh, in, in, in the game. Um, Kevin, do they, do they yeah. give you more guidance than just that? Is there, is there a defined benefit to many of these? Or is it just degrees of success and you, you decide? What no. So it's kind of like, you know, a, an easy action is a, a three, a, 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 you know, a threshold of three, a normal action is a six challenging is nine and they have definitions for each, right? Hard is 12. Sure. Cr critical. That, 15 and so that's, that's like the target. 18. That's the target number. You're yeah. Right? Yeah. And if you beat that and get say, two degrees of success do they do they give you any kind of menu for what that might mean or is it just simply no, you got two well degrees no of there's there's no menu for that because of course uh, what can you dream of doing in this game right i mean it could be anything and that's where if you were using a published adventure published scenario that's where the person who writes that scenario would lay out you know if someone's barely successful we suggest this, this if okay. it's completely, if it's over. And, you know, so if you're, you know, the adventure you all played, I made up. So I had planned out like, you know, on certain things that I might expect you to potentially do, what would the different levels of success get you? So, and as usual, you guys rolled and didn't even get one level of success on certain roles. So I didn't have to worry about what I had planned out <laughs> to give you for information because you didn't even get it. <laughs> <laughs> so um so there's that and within this uh game there are a couple of other things that are are pretty cool in it they do have rules around like prolonged actions whether that's setting up a camp or century duty all the way to a very formalized structure around an audience and uh you know if the group goes before uh, a chieftain or some other dignitary and they're trying to get a favor, information, whatever it is, uh, you go through this formal uh, audience where you pre present the custodes and then after going through uh, uh, essentially an authority role, you then move into a, a request stage that is all based on a society role. Um, but it's, uh, I, I thought it, it was pretty cool to give uh, the audience and, and that kind of interaction structure. So I, I really enjoyed that uh, about the game. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think, what else should we cover, Gabe? I think we're, we've given a pretty good overview of, of what's going on. Yeah, I think you covered it, man. Um, and, and of course, listen, folks, if, if what you've heard, uh, you find it interesting, uh, the books are delightful. You know, if you're even just an RPG collector and uh, you like reading through rules, hey, listen, people like that are out there. I'm one of them. I know you're out there. You've got books on your shelf that you've never played, but they're fantastic, aren't they? Well, this one's good. And it's worth picking up the core rule book. And there are some really excellent uh, supplements that they've created 
uh, uh, for this. And again, it is all history. So everything in them isn't like historical Rome. Uh, but, you know, there there are some great books like the Encyclopedia Arcana uh, and, and some of their other offerings uh, that even if you're not going to play Lex Arcana, but you have a game based in kind of a Roman setting uh, that I, I think some of these books could be uh, incredibly helpful to any campaign uh, based in a Rome or alt Rome setting. So uh, really cool. And, um, and, you know, I discovered it. Because, um, you know, I Acheron Games um, is where I learned about this, and they make one of my favorite 5E settings, Brancolonia, right? And they produce that. And so that's how I became aware of Lex Arcana and eventually picked it up and knew that I had to bring it to Analytic Dice uh, because it had just – And but now, you know, Gabe, to tell you the truth, I'm, I, I hope you and Nick uh, had fun playing because – uh, the truth is rolling up to it like anything else. I'm like, oh my God, I got to learn a whole new rule system and master it so I can, so these guys can have a good experience with it. And, um, you know, like anything else, we all have a lot of things going on in life. Boy, man, I'll tell you, I had to hit the books to study up on this. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the challenge we've set for ourselves, right? Hitting the books every month with something new. So true. Um, let's see. So, you know, anyway, folks, um, so we, I, I think we're done other than, uh, eliciting if, if you've heard something on here where you think we're way off base or, uh, you know, we said something and you want to provide some gentle correction, you know, feel free, <laughs> uh, look in the liner notes, give us a call. We have a Google voice number set up, uh, where you can leave a message. Um, and so please do that. Uh, we're happy to play your calls, happy to respond to uh, any any commentary uh, based on what we've said. Um, uh, and, and that's about it. I mean, we this will be our December episode uh, coming shortly out to everyone. And and that leaves the question for January. What will be the game? And since I picked Lex Arcana, well, the ball is in your court, Gabe. What do we have coming up in the next episode of Analytic Dice? Dragon Bane. Dragon Bane. Fantastic. So I'm staring over at my bookshelf for games that I have not played. <laughs> and and the Dragon Bane uh, 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 box set is, where the heck is that? You do have oh, one. There huh? it is. I've oh, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How fortuitous. I've got it. So I will I will dust that off. And get into it and and see, uh, yeah, what 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 we're gonna do. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm glad you picked Dragon Bane. You know, it's one of those games that um, I just haven't had the time to get into. So this is why we're doing this, right? This is the excuse. Once a month, we get to try something new. And uh, folks, so I I hope you enjoyed uh, listening uh, to today's show. I hope that, or this month's show, and I hope that you check out our backlog of episodes uh, that's growing where we're covering different games, you know, and if you have a game that you love uh, and you want to suggest it to us, I mean, our hey. rule, our rules are 
if we haven't played it, we'll consider it. So, <laughs> you know, feel free to uh, bombard us with your with your suggestions for games too. You ha- you say that you say that Nick and Nick is going to be honest, like he wants us to play this other one. <laughs> uh, yeah i'm happy with that he's already recommended it i haven't gotten to it yet i have to crack that one and then i'll i'll run that one for nick okay all right all right everyone and the last thing i'll say is uh thanks to all the callers and be on the lookout uh for a a new mini episode of analytic dice that's going to be coming out it, it's called analytic dice studio and in analytic dice studio what we'll be doing is interviewing someone in the gaming community and for those of you who've watched um uh lipton's uh actors studio it's kind of like that uh we'll talk a little bit about the background of this person in the rpg field and then we've got a bunch of preset questions uh to ask them and hear their responses so uh look out for that that'll be we're hoping uh to at least uh, drop one of those a month uh we'll see what happens you know how it is. So everyone, uh, if you don't hear from us, uh, whatever whatever uh, uh, holidays or festivals you celebrate, uh, I hope they're joyous and uh, happy new year to everyone rolling into 2024. Let, let's hope we have a great one. All right, everyone. Uh, ha- have a good one. Talk to you soon.